You know, we uh, worship this God of second chances, okay? And uh, the reason he's a God of second chances is he expects us as his followers then to give what? To give second chances, right? We have a God of second chances, and so he expects us as we follow him, oh, he's a God of second chances, that we're supposed to give the other second chance, a second chance, okay? And so that's what forgiveness is all about. That's what it's all about. It's relentless forgiveness. You are forgiven by him to forgive, right? You're forgiven to forgive. And so whatever situation, whatever's happened in the past, remember, you are the what? Loser, right? You are the loser if you do not deal with your unforgiving spirit. You're the loser if you don't deal with your unforgiving spirit. And the people around you will suffer as well. We are here to forgive. And as long as you are a follower of Jesus, the Holy Spirit lives in you. He is your power, as Oswald Chambers says. Right? He doesn't give you the power. He is your power. And so as he is your power, you walk forward, and then you're able to forgive. You're able to forgive. You're able to forgive. Okay? And what happens is, as you forgive, you are being set free. You are being set free. And what happens is, is you live your life to the fullest. And John says what? Jesus says, I have come to set you free, right? And I've also come to give you life and life to the fullest. Life to the fullest. It comes through forgiveness. It comes through forgiveness. Forgiveness does not come naturally to me. Does it you? No, it does not come naturally to me. All right. So for us to relentlessly forgive, to forgive again and again and again, you need to be wearing God's clothes. You need to be wearing his clothes. Clothes that he hand-picked for you out of God's wardrobe, which we have made right here for you. God's wardrobe, hand-picked for us, okay? Just the right combo, all the time, always in, always making a statement, always the perfect clothes for you. Because it's through Christ, it's in Christ, that we have this perfect wardrobe. And it's God's wardrobe for us. You know, you wouldn't put a brand new outfit on over a dirty, ugly, smelly clothes, would you? No, you wouldn't do it. And what we tend to do is we keep our little sins and we keep our little stuff and keep this hidden, keep this and keep that. And what we do is we, we tend to go, oh, but I want to put the new clothes on. And then we become lumpy, bumpy, and everybody goes, something's wrong, something's wrong. There's not something, you know, you're, you're a believer, but you know, you're sort of looking lumpy and bumpy. Because you've got all your old clothes on still. You have to take off your old clothes before you can put your new on. Um, our daughter, Becca, who's a sophomore in college, she's at Judson University, she went to homecoming, and of course she texted me her gorgeous dress. Mom, look, look, one of the girls had this dress and it fits, and I'm going to wear it. And I'm like, oh. And so uh, I noticed that when she showed it to me and she put it on, that it wasn't that she had her sweaty soccer clothes on underneath. <laughs> That'd be ridiculous, wouldn't it? Look, Mom, you know, here's her big sweats and all smelly and soccer and everything. No, she has this gorgeous new dress that she put on, but not over old stinky clothes. And that's what we tend to do. And that's the same thing that Paul shares in Colossians 3. I want you to look at the, uh, at the screen uh, from the message. He is addressing the believers at the church in Colossae. Okay, and so uh, he is teaching them. He's saying, okay, guys, this is how you live in Christ. And so he says, and we're going to read all through one and two. Uh, I'm sorry, all through the chapter. And so we're going to see this. He says in the message, so if you're serious about living this new resurrection life with Christ, act like it. Pursue the things over which Christ presides. Don't shuffle along, eyes to the ground, absorb with the things right in front of you. Look up and be alert to what is going on around Christ. That's where the action is. See things from his perspective. Your old life is dead. Your new life, which is your real life, even though invisible to spectators, is with Christ and God. He is your life. When Christ, your real life, remember, shows up again on this earth, you'll show up too, the real you, the glorious you. Meanwhile, be content with obscurity like Christ. And that means killing off everything connected with that way of death. Sexual promiscuity, impurity, lust, doing whatever you feel like, whenever you feel like, grabbing at whatever attracts your fancy. That's a life shaped by 
things and feelings instead of by God. It's because of this thing that God is about to explode in anger. It wasn't long ago that you were doing all that stuff and not knowing any better, but now you know better. So make sure it's all gone for good. Bad temper, irritability, meanness, profanity, dirty talk. Don't lie to one another. You're done with that old life. It's like a filthy set of ill-fitting clothes you've stripped off and put in the fire. Read the bold with me. The next words there. Now. It starts with now. Ready? Am I on now? I was good. Now. Okay, thanks. All right. Now you're dressed in a new wardrobe. Every item of your new way of life is custom made by the creator with his label on it. Read it again. Now you're dressed in a new wardrobe. Every item of your new way of life is custom made by the creator with his label on it. All the old fashions are now obsolete. Words like Jewish and non-Jewish, religious and irreligious, insider and outsider, uncivilized and uncouth, slave and free mean nothing. From now on, everyone is defined by Christ and everyone is included in Christ. I'll read on. So chosen by God for this new life of love, dress in the wardrobe God picked out for you. And here they are. Compassion, kindness, humility, quiet strength, discipline, be even-tempered, content with second place. What? Quick to forgive an offense. Forgive as quickly and completely as the master forgave you. And regardless of whatever else you put on, wear love. It's your basic all-purpose garment. Never be without it. And let the peace of Christ, Susan Hunt, let the peace of Christ keep you in tune with each other, in step with each other. None of this going off and doing your own thing and cultivate thankfulness. Let the word of Christ, the message, have the run of the house. Give it plenty of room in your lives. Instruct and direct one another using good common sense and sing. He tells us to sing, and sing your hearts out to God. Let every detail in your lives, words, actions, whatever, be done in the name of the Master Jesus, thanking God the Father every step of the way. So let's sing. We're going to sing. It's one of our key verses uh, this week. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. It looks like a lot of people don't really know what forgiveness is. That's the forgiveness on the street. Put the microphone out. Used to do it on Roma Cafe after it was off the fish. Hey! What's this? What's this? And they would look at you and, and they'd say whatever would come into their mind, whatever they believe. But we're going to go to the Word of God because that's the truth, right? And that's the truth that sets us free. And so let's begin with prayer. Lord Jesus, we just praise you and we thank you that tonight we can hear from you. Lord, we ask that, uh, thank you for, uh, Susan, just preparing our hearts, God, and going before. I ask that you just speak in and through me, Lord. You take me away because my words are not life-changing, but yours are. And so, Holy Spirit, you have your way. I ask that you still every woman that's here, that she would hear from you in particular in what the Holy Spirit is speaking in general. You know their hearts. You know them through and through. You know every hair on their head. You've ordained this very day for them. Lord, I ask that uh, you would just go after them as the hound of heaven. Let them know how forgiven they are so they in turn can forgive. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen? amen. Oh, come on, amen? amen. I'm going to get you up again and do veggie tales, so you better amen, right? Amen? amen? All right, much better, much better. Look up. Uh, wrong one, sweet bug. We're supposed to be at Matthew 6. That would be the next one. There you go. Good job, good job. All right. Matthew 6, this is what Jesus says about forgiveness, okay, and what it means. These are Jesus' words in Matthew 6, 12, 14, and 15. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Where does that come from? You guys know that? Lord's Prayer, okay? For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, what happens? Your Father will not forgive your sins. Your father will not forgive your sins. Let's look at this. Okay, Matthew 18, 21 through 22. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, remember this? Lord, I mean, I'm sure he's thinking, 
I'm going to ask a really great question because, I mean, come on, I forgive a lot, right? So he says, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Like, up to seven times? <gasps> right? Huh? Am I doing a great job, Lord? Right? Up to seven times? And Jesus answers what? Read it with me. I tell you, not seven times, but 70 times seven. Okay, now let's look at one of our key verses in Colossians 3, verse 13. It says, bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Read with me, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Read again, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Read again, forgive as the Lord forgave you. That's relentless forgiveness. That is forgiven to forgive. Uh, I am sure many of you have stories uh, where you can remember how you needed to forgive someone. You know, some are really big stories, some are little stories, but you know, they're still, you needed to forgive all, you know, still the same. And I remember a time, this is back in college, I remember a time where uh, I had been in Estes Park, Colorado, and I was... Uh, actually making money there during the summer. And we had already put money down to move out of the dorm and move into you know, an apartment together. So Mary Sue and myself were gonna live together in the apartment. Well, I worked all the way until two days before we were gonna move in to our apartment and then school would start at UW Oshkosh. Well, I called and they said, okay, great, I'll be there and I've got this, this, this. And they said, oh, well, mm, uh, mm, uh, well, uh, mm. I'm like, what do you mean? Well, uh, mm. you know, I'm flying back in and they were going to live you know, in our apartment. Uh, well, you know what, we decided we just wanted two, um, and because there's only two bedrooms and nobody wants to room, you know, so I hope you understand. And it was two days before classes started. And so I hung up the phone, and uh, I was dumbfounded, you know, and, and I'm like, okay, all right, okay. All right, two days before, of course, I went and cried with my mom. <laughs> Right? And, uh, and she walked me through it wonderfully. And so I called my friend Cindy that I had roomed with years ago, and she was at UWO. And so I said, Cindy, do you know of anything that's available at all? Because it's two days before class, and I need... And she says, you know what? You're never going to believe this. But we got a great big home on Frederick Street. We have five bedrooms. We're looking for a roommate for the fifth bedroom. Oh. Me. Me, 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 me. Right? Okay. But that was God doing that. Right? But let me tell you something. I had to forgive them. I had to forgive them. I had to see them. We were in the same degree together. You know, I had to forgive them. And it took me a while, sadly to say. It took me a while. I walked away from them. I tried not to look at them. I did all the things that you're not supposed to do. I finally forgave them, and I remember later on that they came and apologized also to me. Okay, last night I asked this question. I'm going to ask it again. Who have you forgiven? Who have you forgiven? And the other question is, who has forgiven you? Now, we know Jesus has, because the Word of God tells us that. So praise you, Lord. But who else have you forgiven? See, Colossians 3.13 says, Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. So let's look at accurately defining the word forgiveness, okay? Because obviously, when we saw it on the street, they weren't getting it, okay? So what exactly is forgiveness? We gave you a little journal. It has forgiven on it, okay? Did you all get one on your, on your seats tonight? Good. Uh, understanding forgiveness can be very difficult because you know why? In our culture, in our society, genuine forgiveness is so uncommon. Would you agree with me? Genuine forgiveness is so uncommon. It is more common to be unforgiving than it is to forgive. In his book, What's So Amazing About Grace, I would highly recommend it by Philip Yancey, What's So Amazing About Grace, he writes about unforgiveness and he says this, unforgiveness plays like a background static of life for families, nations, and institutions. Unforgiveness is sadly our natural human state. We nurse sores to elaborate lengths to rationalize our behavior, perpetuate family feuds, punish ourselves, punish others, all to avoid the most unnatural act of forgiving. My mom used to say, you know, Margot, to sin is human. To forgive is divine. To sin is human, but to forgive is divine. And in our society, real forgiveness is rare. Have you ever heard the um, saying, bury the hatchet? 
bury the hatchet. It's an old saying, bury, just go bury the hatchet, okay? Well, here's the problem. When you bury the hatchet, you tend to keep a map. And you tend to realize, I buried my, mat, my hatchet over here. And here's my map. And I'm going to go unbury that hatchet right now. In fact, it reminds me, we had a dog years ago that would take her bone and go bury it, right? And dig up the yard and, and then put it in. And then she knew exactly where it was when she needed to chew on that bone, right? She went right to it and, and she uncovered it and there it was. She'd dig it up and she'd chew on it again. And that's such a visual great word picture. That's what we do. We nurse our grudges, we dig it up again, we look at the map, where's that hatchet, where's that bone, I'm gonna go get it. You know, we, we nurse our grudges as if they're these precious bones. And we run over to them and we gnaw on them and we hold on to this grudge. And it is the opposite of forgiveness. Because forgive literally means to release or send away, to let off, to untie a knot. To release, to send away, to let off, to untie a knot. And for those of you who have been on the prayer walk, you're going to see what it means by untying a knot. To untie a knot. See, forgiveness is a commitment of not letting feelings of resentment rule you. Not become, they won't come between you and that person. Forgiveness is not the norm. So the best way to figure out and truly understand what it is, is I want to go through what forgiveness is not. What forgiveness is not. And the very first thing it is not, it, it is not forgetting. It is not forgetting. Many people are like, oh, just forget about it. No, it is not forgetting. When someone hurts us deeply, we simply can't forget it. We don't have that ability. You know who does have that ability? God does. But we don't have that ability. Only God does. I can still remember, like yesterday, the betrayal and the meanness of Mary and Sue to me. I can remember it, okay? But determining to forgive them means that when any time that that wrong comes up and meets me face to face, what I need to do is I forgive them again. I forgive them again. I forgive them again. It's relentless forgiveness, right? It comes up, and if you start, if you start, Nursing it, if you start thinking about it, if you start going back to it, where are you going to go? You're going to rationalize, you're going to go down, you're going to hold a grudge. But the second it comes up, you forgive again. Oh, you know what, Lord? I forgive again. You forgave me, I forgive them. I forgive them. Colossians 3.13 literally is saying, keep on forgiving one another. Keep on forgiving one another. So forgiveness is a continual process. You just don't forgive once and think, oh, that's great. And that's what Jesus meant when he told Peter. When he told Peter that we're forgive one another not seven times, but what? Seventy times seven, okay? Forgiveness is something we do over and over and over again. And actually, for the same offense. For the same offense. It doesn't have to be for another one. It's for the same offense. It is not forgetting. It is the fact that it actually has to do more with remembering. It has to do with remembering. Here's what James McDonald says. I love James McDonald. He's a pastor at Harvest Bible Church in Chicago area. Um, my daughter Becca is able to go to his church in Elgin because her uh, school is there. And uh, I listen to what I go on my prayer walk every day. I listen to the first half hour as I'm walking to walk in the word. And uh, he shares this. This is what he says. Time heals nothing. You can't ignore an injury. You can't pretend the pain doesn't exist. When someone offends you or wrongs you, deal with it God's way and deal with it fast. Allowing unforgiveness to reside in your heart can crush you, shatter relationships, and hinder your walk with God. There's no time for that. When you follow Jesus Christ, forgiveness is not optional. It's what? It's essential. Forgiveness is not optional. It is essential. It is essential. We have to view forgiveness God's way. Unlimited and often completely what? Undeserved. It is an act of the will as memorable as a funeral. Grieve the loss, but then leave it behind you. Grieve the loss and leave it behind you. If you think your hurt is too big to heal, Jesus' words that we read in Matthew 18 are clear and motivating. What does it say? Forgive, 
and you will be forgiven. Read with me. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. And that, ladies, is how we live, in relentless forgiveness. There's this uh, renowned Christian author and uh, theologian. His name is Louis Smeeds. Maybe some of you have heard him before. He says, forgiving does not erase the bitter past. A healed memory is not a deleted memory. A healed memory is not a, delete, a deleted memory. Forgiveness is not forgetting. It's relentless forgiving. It's actually remembering. Secondly, what forgiveness is not, it is not reconciliation. Forgiveness is separate from reconciliation. Forgiveness takes how many people? One. Reconciliation takes two. Okay, so forgiveness is separate from reconciliation. Okay, um, we as an injured party can forgive an offender without reconciliation. We can forgive someone even if they don't ask to be forgiven or even if they don't want to be forgiven. We can still forgive them. That's all right, I forgive you. I forgive you, right? Um, it takes only one person to forgive. It takes two people to be reunited or to have reconciliation. But here's the key. God has called us only to act rightly before him. We are just called to act rightly before him and do the next right thing. We are not responsible for anybody else's reactions. None. And so we forgive. We're forgiven to forgive, and we continue to walk in that. And if reconciliation, you know, pray for that, walk towards that. But if it, if it does not happen, you are not responsible for that. Thirdly, what forgiveness is not. It is not condoning or dismissing the behavior either. In other words, it's not saying, oh, you know, you know, what you did was really bad. I mean, it was really bad. But you know what? So what? I mean, it really doesn't matter. You guys, if it doesn't matter, then forgiveness is unnecessary. It does matter. It absolutely does matter. You know, forgiveness is necessary because it does matter. It requires forgiveness. Forgiveness means that we take the offense seriously. That this is what happened. It's not passing it off as inconsequential or insignificant. Forgiveness acknowledges, yep, you know what? You did something wrong. You did something wrong. And you know what? I'm going to forgive it anyway. I'm going to forgive it anyway. There is a great deal of grace in the act of forgiving. Grace, right? Undeserved favor. And who do we get grace from? Right? In turn, we receive grace from him so we can be Gracious, it is to flow in us and then through us. So we are to forgive, undeserved favor, and that's how God forgives us. Forgiveness is built around the root word give. The root word give, which should tell us something that's undeserved because the word give, like a gift, do you deserve a gift? No, a person gives you a gift because they want to give you that gift. They want to grace you with that gift. It's an undeserved thing. And when we forgive evil, we don't excuse it. We don't tolerate it. We don't cover it over. We don't smother it. Okay, we look evil straight in the face. We look it in the face, we call it what it is, and we let its horror, shock, and stun, and enrage us. And only then can you forgive it. You gotta call it what it is. And then you can forgive it. Another thing forgiveness is not, is forgiveness is not pardon. It's not pardon. In other words, you know, a pardon is a legal transaction that releases an offender from the consequences of an action, such as a penalty. Louis Smedes, the same author, says, you can forgive a person and still insist on a just punishment for that offense. For instance, let's go back to the Old Testament. Moses, big mole, right? Chosen to lead the Israelites, right? Chosen. Okay, God told them, I want you to strike this rock how many times? Once to get water, right? They had manna coming down. He said, you know what? People are needing water. He goes, okay, great. Strike this rock one time. How many times did he strike it? He struck it two times. No, 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 no. I need you to obey me. I wanted you to strike it once. And so what happened is, is did he, was he able to go over to the promised land? No, no. Now, 
absolutely forgiven, absolutely forgiven. Chosen guy, absolutely forgiven. God, you know, can't love him any less, love him any more, absolutely forgiven. But there was a consequence to that behavior. He wasn't able to cross over into the promised land. Even in the Old Testament. Fifthly, another thing that forgiveness is not, is it's not easy. Can you say that together? Forgiveness is not easy. Say it with me. Forgiveness is not easy. Say it again. Forgiveness is not easy, okay? It can be extremely difficult to forgive. And you know, I think sometimes that that's a side effect of us in this fallen world. It's that flesh garbage, okay? Forgiving someone just like goes against the, our grain. It's like fingernails on a chalkboard, right? It's just like, oh, you know, I don't want to walk through this. There's another Christian author I love to read. Her name is Elizabeth O'Connor. She says, despite a hundred sermons on forgiveness, we do not forgive easily, nor find ourselves easily forgiven. Forgiveness, we discover, is always harder than the sermons make it out to be. Right? Everybody's like, oh yeah, forgiveness. No, it's always harder than the sermons make it out to be. Forgiveness is hard. We have to work at it. Forgiveness does not come easily to us. You gotta wanna forgive. You gotta wanna forgive. However, you will know when you are forgiving, when, you are, when forgiveness has begun, when you recall those people who have hurt you and then you feel the power to wish them well. To wish them well. Uh, I have been wonderfully married for 26 years to uh, my husband named Brian. Prior to that, uh, I had made uh, incredibly wrong choices in my life. And uh, at that point, I did not know Jesus uh, as my Savior. And I had married a man uh, with, um, you know, a 55-inch chest, in 19-inch arms. And uh, for six years, he physically and mentally and emotionally abused me. And I knew that I knew that I had forgiven him when I was able to look at him through the compassionate eyes of Jesus. And see that he was made in the image of God. That Jesus died for him and loved him just as much as he loves me. I knew I had forgiven him when I started praying for him. To come to know Jesus. To come to know him personally and passionately and powerfully and then preeminently over his life. I knew I had forgiven him when I started praying blessings in his life and for his children. I knew I had forgiven him when the Holy Spirit power in me wanted to wish him well. It wasn't, I forgive you, but anymore. It's, I forgive you. I forgive you. I forgive you. Look at all the garbage I've done. Oh, God, I'm so forgiven. And those who are forgiven much, what? Love much. Love much. Let's look at another story. Let's look at a video that uh, one of our ladies here uh, named Doris has walked through. Let's watch her story. That's all I wanted at the time. We're going to watch the rest of it tomorrow morning because uh, Doris then explains how she learned to forgive uh, because she knew how she was forgiven. And I come back and ask you, you know, why would God ask us to do something that's so unnatural, that is so unnatural, so difficult to do? Why would he ask us to do that? One reason is because he is so forgiving. That's who he is. That's his character. He can't be anything else but. You know, when Jesus commanded us to love our enemies, which would, of course, include forgiving them, forgiving them, he said he wanted us to do this so that we could look like the sons of the Father in heaven. Right? So that we're conformed to the likeness of his son. So that we look like him. And in this way, what happens is we are called to resemble our forgiving heavenly father. We're called to do that. To bear God's family likeness. Right? We are these ambassadors. We're supposed to, you know, bear his family likeness. And forgiving one another is one way to do that. 
what happens is when you look at to return evil for good is the devil's way. Okay? To return good for good is usually man's way. But to return good for evil is God's way, is God's way. So he expects us. One reason is because he's so forgiving. He then wants us to be forgiving. And secondly, another reason God, what he does is he's commanded us. He's commanded us. It's not a suggestion. He doesn't go, well, you know, if you feel like it. You know what, I, if you get over your hurt, I know, I know. You, you know, you can nurse it for a while. I know, I know. He doesn't say that. Another reason is because God has commanded us to forgive each other. It's a simple fact that he knows that forgiving is good for me. He knows that forgiving is good for you. That's why he commands us to do that, okay? As our designer, he's our designer, he's our creator, he recognizes that unforgiveness harms us. Forgiveness helps us. Unforgiveness harms us. And it harms us in many ways. One way that unforgiveness harms you and I is psychologically. Psychologically, okay? If you refuse to forgive, if you entertain bitter thoughts and exhibit anger and attitudes toward your enemies, what happens is you turn into a bitter, angry, joyless person. You're the one that turns into that. They don't. You turn into that. You become psychological hostages to your own hate. Did you hear that? You become psychological hostages to your own hate. Do you know someone who does that? Is it perhaps you? Lee Strobel says this, you don't hold a grudge as much as a grudge holds you. You don't hold a grudge as much as a grudge holds you. Unforgiveness can change us psychologically and emotionally because we become like the person we focus on. This person wronged me. I'm going to focus on that person. Then resentment sets in, then grudges set in, then bitterness sets in, then anger starts, right? And then it goes on and on and on. And so you start resenting the person and you see resentment literally means to feel again. Resentment means to feel again. And an unforgiving attitude causes us to cling to the past and to live over and over and over again, like picking a fresh scab. I know that sounds gross, but as a little kid, I'm sure you remember scabs. I remember your kids, I'm sure, had scabs. Okay? I remember, you know, it's one of those things that it never heals. It looks like it's healing, then you pick it again. It looks like it's healing, then you pick it again. Right? I remember as a little kid, I had a big old huffy bicycle, big fat tires, okay? My sisters, who are 10, 11 years older than me, had the beautiful Schwinn's, the touring bikes with the really skinny bike tires, so I would try to ride their bikes. And I would be great as long as I kept on pavement, but when I went across the street to Marta's house, they had this monster hill that was all gravel, and I'd come up to the top, and I'd think, oh, this is great, and I'd try to turn, you know how you try to turn? Real, you know, like you can't go way out, but you just turn. Every single time I'd fall on the same knee. On the same knee. And what happened? It would scab. It would scab. And what if you continue to pick at that, it doesn't heal. It doesn't heal. Mental wounds, when you pick at them, never heal. They never heal. And it's just like you picking at a scab. And no wonder that Job 5.2 says this. Thank you. To worry yourself to death with resentment would be a foolish, senseless thing to do. To worry yourself to death with resentment would be a foolish, senseless thing to do. God knows that unforgiveness causes psychological damage, and the only way to heal your emotional wounds caused by others is to forgive the person. You guys, it's not magic. He's written it down for you. Forgive as I forgave you. Did he forgive you with like pretenses or if you do this or if you don't? Did he do that? No. We are just to forgive. If we don't forgive, unforgiveness absolutely hurts us psychologically. And if we don't forgive, unforgiveness hurts us physically. Physically, 
Unforgiveness has been linked to cardiovascular disease. It's been linked to hypertension, to high blood pressure, and even cancer. An article in the New York Times says this, researchers have gathered a wealth of data lately suggesting that chronic anger is so damaging to the body that it ranks with or even exceeds cigarette smoking, obesity, and a high-fat diet as a powerful risk factor for early death. There was a study I was reading uh, in the University of Michigan. It was a group of women. They were tested to see um, how they were harboring anger, long-term suppressed anger. These women were tracked for 18 years, and the outcome was absolutely amazing. It was startling. These women with suppressed anger were three times more likely to have died during the study than the other ladies. Then they did it on men. And there was a, at University of North Carolina, they examined male medical school graduates for over 25 years. These aren't just short little times. These are long times they were studied. 25 years. And the results showed that the physicians with hidden hostilities died at a rate that was six times greater, six times greater than those who had forgiving attitudes. Unforgiveness hurts you physically. So in a very literal sense, bitterness is a dangerous drug in any dose. And your health is at risk if you want to continually be persistent in unforgiveness. Remember, I always talk about the definition of bitterness. What is it? Drinking a bottle of poison, hoping what? The other other person dies. And who is dying? You are. You're drinking the bottle of poison, but you're hoping the other person dies, and you are dying. You know, I think this is what God was warning us about in Proverbs 17, verse 22, where it says, a cheerful heart is what? Good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones, and harboring resentment can hurt you psychologically, can hurt you physically, and thirdly, it can do great harm to our relationships. Great harm to our relationships. Um, I was reading this story, and it fits so well. Do you guys remember the Cuban Missile Crisis? I'm sure many of you do. At the height of the Cuban Missile Crisis, um, tension was building, so there could have been an outbreak of World War III. Soviet Premier Nikita Khrushchev sent a message to the then President John F. Kennedy. And this is in part what the message read. You and I should not pull on the ends of the rope in which you have tied a knot of war. Because the harder you and I pull, the tighter the knot will become. And a time may come when this knot is so tight that the person who tied it is no longer capable of untying it. What that would mean, I need not explain to you because you yourself understand perfectly what dread forces our two countries possess. And you know, when I read that, Khrushchev was exhibiting extreme wisdom here. Because in effect, he says, you know, when you're making the decision to return evil for evil, you are actually yanking on that rope. And the knot gets tighter, the rope of conflict, and that knot and that relationship gets so tight, it may not be able to be untied. And remember, the definition of forgiveness is what? Untying the knot to release, untying the knot. But by forgiving, just simply dropping the rope, dropping the rope, we loosen the tension, we start undoing the knot and preserve the possibility that that still loose knot might somehow be untied. And the relationship is restored. The relationship is restored. Once again, I'm going to highly recommend that you walk on the prayer walk tomorrow. And I'm going to ask that you do it alone Because when you do it alone, it's just between you and God, and he's talking with you, and he's communing, and it's very personal. It's just eight stations, and it will tell you what to walk through. And I know as you walk along the lake, other ladies said, oh, it was just glorious as you walked along the lake. And and they're spaced far enough apart that you can be alone with the Lord. And you're going to see what untying a knot really means personally for you. See, when we drop the end of our rope and we loosen the tension, we do start undoing the knot. Hatred writes people off. Right? It's like, okay, I'm done. I'm done with that. Hatred writes people off. 
Only forgiveness holds out the hope that relationships can be mended and enemies can be made into friends. There's this book called uh, Seeking His Kingdom. It's by David Dockery. And uh, he says, there were probably some Christians who hated Saul. Remember, Saul was one who was killing Christians, right? Until he became Paul, okay? So he says, there were probably some Christians who hated Saul when he was filled with malice and breathing threats and murder against the church, you think? <laughs> I'm pretty sure about that, right? Who would have guessed that he would become the Apostle Paul, preaching love and forgiveness, right? Here's the deal. The one who treats us as our enemy today may become our sister or brother tomorrow. Jesus says, however, you're to treat them today as if they're brother and sister. Not when they get all their act together. You're to treat them today as their brother or sister. Relationships do not thrive because the guilty are punished but because the innocent are merciful. Relationships do not thrive because the guilty are punished, but because the innocent are merciful. Unforgiveness hurts us psychologically. It hurts us physically. It hurts us with our relationship with each other. And you know the greatest damage that it does? Unforgiveness damages our relationship with God the Father, with God the Father. When we fail to forgive, when we sin, and when we sin and we sin, we erect this barrier, we, we, we put up this hard heart, we put this wall up between ourselves and God, which his love and mercy can't flow through. We tend to think that being forgiven by God, oh, that rocks, that is just great. I am forgiven by God, okay? And forgiving others we think these are two separate things. And Jesus tells us it's not. We are forgiven to forgive. We are forgiven to forgive. Jesus tells us that. God's forgiveness of our sin hinges on our forgiving others. Remember what he said in Matthew 6? Jesus said, if you forgive men... When they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. In fact, when you look at this God's wardrobe here, just look at the door, okay? The, uh, the door is closed from this side, isn't it? Okay, the door is closed. From the other side, is it closed? Yes, the door is closed. From this side, the door is closed. If you look at it from the other side, the door is closed, okay? And so a door closed from one side so forgiveness can't get out to others. The door is closed from the other side so God's forgiveness can't get into you. Are you following me? So it's closed. That's unforgiveness. That's what you're doing. You're shutting the door. You got to put the picture up, please? I found this picture... And this is a picture of Leonardo da Vinci's painting. Of his, it's called a fresco. I learned this. It's so amazing. A fresco is uh, painting on, on moist plaster uh, so that when it dries, it makes it permanent into the, into the plaster. And this is Leonardo da Vinci's famous The Last Supper that he did in a church wall in Milan. Okay, And so uh, at the time he painted this work, and that's actually it, uh, he had an enemy who was a fellow painter. And da Vinci had an incredibly bitter argument with this guy, and he basically despised him. Well, when he got to the point of painting the face of Judas, okay, Iscariot, at the table, uh, at the table with Jesus, he decided to use the face of guess who? Of his enemy. Hey, this will be cool. Judas, yeah, the one who's going to betray Jesus, betrayed Jesus, I'll paint him as the enemy. This would be an infamy, infamy. Here's the enemy, right? And what happens is, is that it brought him great pleasure to think that others would equate, you know, his enemy with Judas. How great is that? You know, the betrayer of Christ. Well, what happens is, weeks passed and weeks passed. And he worked on the faces of the other disciples, and he was able to do that. But when he got to the face of Jesus, he had painter's block. Like writer's block, he couldn't do it. 
He tried to do it. He tried to do it over and over again, and he couldn't. And only after making peace with his fellow painter and repainting the face of Judas was he able to paint the face of Jesus. True story. Only after making peace with his fellow painter and repainting the face of Judas was he able to paint the face of Jesus. And it is only when we forgive that we can look God in the face and enjoy a close walk with him. So you see, forgiving others is good for you. Forgiving others is good for me. Unforgiveness is not. Unforgiveness has psychological, has physical, has relational and spiritual problems that will happen in your life, but not forgiveness. Forgiveness brings those as benefits and psychological and physical and relational and even spiritual benefits, okay? To forgive, Lewis Smead says, is to set the prisoner free and know that it's you, you're the prisoner. To forgive is to set the prisoner free and what you find out is, I was the prisoner. I was the prisoner. Forgiveness also benefits the other person. It just doesn't benefit you. It opens the door. It opens the door for the other person. It opens the door to let Jesus go after that person, right? The hound of heaven to go after him. And there's benefits for the other person. When you forgive someone, when you slice away the wrong from that person that's harmed you, what you're doing is you're disengaging the person from their harmful act. Are you following me? Here's the person, but here's the wrong that they've done. And guess what can happen? You can recreate that person. That person can be recreated. Here's the sin, but here's the person. And you recreate the person. And forgiveness has the power to recreate. Do you believe that? Forgiveness has the power to recreate. When you look at Peter, we looked at him already, remember? He was cowardly denying Jesus, all right? What did he do? Three times. Three times he denied him on Jesus' arrest, okay? But on the beach the morning after Jesus' resurrection, Jesus forgave Peter. Remember that? He forgave Peter. And the result was Peter was changed. He was absolutely transformed. And he eventually preached boldly at Pentecost. And thousands came to know Jesus. And Peter died as a brave witness for his faith. God used Peter to further his kingdom. But this wouldn't have happened if he had not been forgiven for his cowardice that very night. Our forgiveness makes it possible for others to repent and change. Listen up. Our forgiveness, our forgiveness allows and makes it possible for others to repent. That means to turn and go the exact opposite way and change. Last January 5th, uh, our family needed to do an intervention for our youngest daughter, Tori. Uh, she was 13 at the time. Uh, we adopted her from Guatemala, and uh, uh, we had had her psychologically tested. She was doing behavior that wasn't something that was taught her. And um, the Christian psychologist said, you know, you need to intervene because her prognosis is fair, but she needs to have structure. She needs to have it now. And so we intervened, and we uh, drove her 13 and a half hours to a Christian boarding school. She's still at that Christian boarding school. And uh, I remember we got there at 3.30 in the morning. And we walked her in. We unloaded her. We shared with her. We talked with her. We met all the wonderful people. And uh, one by one by one, we each went into her, her room that we had set up for her and, and we talked to her. My husband, Tori's daddy, I was peering in as he was alone with her in the room. And it was a side profile, and he tenderly lifted her head. And he put his arm around her and he said, Tori, I forgive you. I forgive you for everything that you've done. I 
I forgive you for all the hurt. I forgive you for how you stole and stole and stole. You, you continually took everything. I forgive you. I forgive you that we had to live behind locked doors. I forgive you. I love you. And I know that I know that God is his best plan for you right now. With tears coming down his face. And then Becca went in, our, our college student, and shared the exact same thing. Oh, Tori, I forgive you. I love you. I know that God's going to heal you. And then I went in and shared. I said, oh, Tori, I love you. I forgive you. Just like Jesus forgives me, I forgive you. And I know that I know that Jesus is working out his plan in you and is healing your heart and your mind. See, the question was not, should I forgive Tori if she doesn't repent? Should she have to repent first in this list and then I'll forgive her? Or is the question, can Tori repent if I don't forgive her? Can the person in your life repent if you don't forgive them? Because you're keeping the door closed instead of opening the door to what God has for that person. We forgive as God forgave us. It's as simple and as easy and as wonderful as that. Tonight, I want you, um, in closing, uh, when I ask you to, uh, to come up to the easels, there are whiteboards on each side. And I want you to write on those whiteboards how someone has wronged you, how others have hurt you. And I want you to leave it there. And all through the weekend, I want you to go by there and I want you to see what human beings do with other human beings. The evil that people do to one another. How people have wronged you. You know, I can start. I was betrayed by a close friend. I, there are lies told about me. I was strangled by my ex-husband. Those are wrong things. But I've chosen to forgive. I've chosen to forgive. And I'm set free. Because I'm not held in the bondage of bitterness. I live, I live in the freedom of forgiveness. Because it's relentless forgiveness. Time and time again. As Susan sings Forgiven, I want you guys to come up. And there are markers right here on the platform. I just want you to walk over and write it down. Whatever it is, write it down. How someone wronged you, and then walk back to your seat.